Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. Good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. It is great to be with you all here today. I am the lead pastor over in the Vine service, uh, where you'll usually find me on Sunday morning, but it's always a great treat to come and be with y'all here. Um, Continued prayers, as uh, Kathy mentioned earlier, for the situation going on in Ukraine and our world leaders. And, you know, it's never political to pray for our church or our government politicians. It's a biblical mandate that's given to us in Scripture, regardless of who's in charge. So just continued prayers for wisdom and discernment for all those involved. Uh, So we are on the last week of our sermon series called What We Believe, where we've been looking at what are the foundational beliefs that we have in the Christian faith, and also what is our kind of Wesleyan or Methodist flavor that we give to those core beliefs. And we're on the last week of that, talking about the nature of the church What is the church right before we launch into our Lent series next week on prayer that I'm really excited about? Um, So Ash Wednesday is starting uh, this Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent, which is that 40-day season of fasting. If you've never fasted before, Lent is a great opportunity to start. Uh, It doesn't have to be food. It could be something simple like giving up cable or giving up social media, Uh, just taking some things uh, that you find disrupt your walk with Christ and removing them from your life so you can spend more time with the Lord. It's a great opportunity, and I would highly encourage it. Um, Our text for the day, if you want to open up your Bibles and you have them with you, we're going to be in the book of Romans for today. Romans 12, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. In accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. And if it's to encourage, then encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, I think we often forget when we read scriptures like this, or just when we read uh, the New Testament, that Paul's letters, when he wrote them, uh, he was not writing them with the intention of this is one day going to go into the Bible. He was writing a letter to a church that he had either helped founded or had profound influence on. 
And so that the letter of Romans was Paul writing to a church in Rome, that all of Paul's letters are written to a real people in a specific time and a specific place that still has meaning for us today. And so the book of Romans, obviously, written to the church in Rome, which is really cool to see that just a few decades after Jesus was resurrected, in the capital of the Roman Empire, we already have a community of Christians that Paul was able to write to. And the church in Rome was not a very healthy church. It was a divided church. So my uh, professor, Dr. Keener, who talked about the context of Romans, he said that um, what most likely happened when Paul wrote this letter was the emperor, the Roman emperor, kicked out all the Jews from Rome. And so the earliest Christians in Rome were all Jews, and so there were Jews and Gentile Christians living together. And then suddenly the Roman emperor kicks all the Jews out of Rome. Gotta get out of here. And so now you just have a Gentile community living in Rome, and that's the only Christian community in Rome for a period of time was Gentile Christians. And then the emperor relents, and he lets the Jews back into Rome. And so now you have a a Gentile Christian community suddenly having to wrestle and reckon with. Now we have these Jews, a different ethnicity than us, who have come in and are intermixing in our church. What are we going to do about it? And the community, and we see in Paul's letter, is very, very divided between these two groups, Jews and Gentiles. And we see this passage in Romans 12, it starts off with the word, therefore. I had a professor in seminary who said, uh, when you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. (laughs) I think I nailed that accent, but I'm terrible with accents. (laughs) And what the point is, is, uh, what he means is when you see that word there, you have to take into account what came before. And basically, Romans 1 through 11 is Paul's theology of why you should be united in Christ, just giving a brief outline of the theology of Romans. It starts off Romans 1, the Gentiles are terrible, aren't they? Romans 2, the Jews are terrible also. Romans 3, everyone's awful. And then the rest of it is, who can save us from our awfulness? Jesus Christ, who saves us from ourselves and unites us and makes us one. And so in light of what Jesus has done for Christians, Therefore, this is how you ought to live in light of what God has done for you. Therefore, in other words, your theology must make a difference in your lives. That if your theology does not make a difference in how you live, then your theology is useless. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, uh, should be up on the screen. If we have the gift of prophecy and can fathom All the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. In other words, Paul says, if I have all the answers, if I have all the God facts, if my theology is perfect, but I'm not putting it into practice, then all of my theology is useless. And so therefore, in light of what we believe, in light of this whole series that we've been talking about, about the nature of baptism, communion, the story of God, understanding the Trinity, in light of who God is, how should we live? Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, brothers and sisters, we fundamentally see in this text that the church is a family of God's creation. The church is a family 
of God's creation. Paul repeatedly throughout the New Testament refers to the church that he's writing to as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a new family. Paul is saying to the church that these things that you think divide you or these extra things outside of Christ that divide you is not your fundamental reality anymore. But fundamentally, who you are now is one big family. That Paul is not just giving a nice little platitude about how we ought to think about one another, but he's stating a profound theological reality of who we are as a community of believers. That we are made one family by what Christ has done for us. I mean, just look around, friends. Look around. It's not rhetorical. This is literally your new family. So welcome home, family. This is literally your new family. So when Jesus says uh, in one of the Gospels that I will turn uh, brother against brother and that basically families will be divided, the church was what became the family for the people who had been kicked out of their family. That that is who we are as a family. Because Jesus was a terrible small group leader. I don't know if you've heard this before. Jesus was a terrible small group leader. He put uh, an Israeli nationalist with a Roman collaborator, uh, Simon the Zealot, who is basically a borderline terrorist, and then Matthew the tax collector. And he's like, y'all are going to be best friends now. Y'all are going to follow me, be in the same small group. And what Jesus basically is doing there is he's saying that these things that you think are so important in your life, these things that you divide, they are no longer your primary foundational identity. That you can follow me like a family and believe differently because I am the one that primarily unites you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the work that God is doing and has done in and among us, that these things that divide us are shadows in view of the light of the kingdom of God. We are one body, though different members. Paul uses that analogy of a body here. And that means that we as a church are fundamentally designed and created to exist in community with one another. Families are not meant to be isolated and separated from one another. We're designed to live in each other's lives. We're meant to be present with one another. I think we've uh, swung the pendulum when we talk in church. When we talk about church, I think we've a bit overemphasized the big C church, the church universal. Um, but there is a profound reality that's talked about in Scripture that the gathered body of believers is important. That the coming together and sharing of our lives with one another is foundationally important. Because that's how Jesus created the early church. That's how he founded his early apostles. Is they were his friends that he gathered to himself and they lived with one another. And so this community that we call Kingwood UMC, both here in the sanctuary and the vine, we are a family. We're a community that's meant to be present with one another. And meant to live in each other's lives. I mean, hasn't COVID made us realize how essential it is to be with someone? Because Christianity is not something that's meant to be consumed from afar. 
but it's a new community, a new family created by God himself that we are called to pour our lives into. I love this quote from John Wesley. He says this, Remember, you cannot serve God alone. You must therefore find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And that's sort of the point that Paul is making here, too. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in light of all that God has done for you, you can't just keep it to yourself. This is how you're going to live together from here on out. This is how you ought to live together, that you ought to love one another, that our love should not be for just God. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That if we solely focus on loving God but not loving our neighbor, then our obedience is incomplete. That loving our neighbor, loving those who are around us is part of being obedient to the Lord. It's not just love Jesus and everything will be fine. One of my professors, Dr. Collins, he said that he went to a mission trip in Kazakhstan, uh, which is, I don't know if you know anything about Kazakhstan, vastly different culture than America. All the way across the world, they don't even speak the same language. I think it's mostly an Orthodox type church over there. They worship differently. Their sanctuaries are differently. And Dr. Collins said he was worshiping with uh, Kazakhstan Christians on a Sunday morning. And he had this profound realization that he was worshiping in a language he didn't understand, but yet they were all worshiping the same God. And they all fundamentally believed the same things about the reality of the world, the reality of who God is, and the reality of what God was doing. And he had this realization that he has more in common with these Christians who don't speak the same language, who have a vastly different culture than him, than he does his own brother who is an atheist. Because if we are Christians, that is our new fundamental identity, and it transcends any of the other identities that we have. Jason, did the, did Matt get that picture to you? Okay. So this is a picture um, from Ukraine, and it's a Ukrainian gentleman praying at the base of a crucifix. Uh, Friends, that is not just a cool picture. It is our brother in Christ weeping at the base of a cross, that that is our family we have solidarity and we pray for not just Christians across the world, but we're literally praying for our family. We're praying for our family members, that this is our fundamental reality, that we are a new family in Christ. And so if we're a family, that means we're committed to one another, that we have to be willing to forgive one another, to be willing to say the difficult things to one another. But in the middle of all that, we are united in love, We're called to be in one another's lives. And so, friends, how can you be present in someone's life this week? Maybe call a family member. 
who has stopped coming here? Is there someone in the family that you've disconnected with that you need to reconnect with? But how can we be a family more in light of what Christ has done? The second lesson we can learn from this passage in Romans is that the church is expected to live differently. The church is expected to live differently. We're supposed to be a family, but oftentimes we don't treat each other like family. Or maybe we do treat each other like family, depending on what your family background is like. <laughs> going to reread these passages from Romans, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Skipping down to verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I mean, these passages are talking about this is how you are supposed to live in view of what God has done for us, that the church is supposed to look differently than the world around us. Now, when Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, oftentimes we take that and we, we interpret it to mean the way that we think. But this is, the, this is how you live your life part of the book of Romans. So Paul is saying it's not conforming your thinking to the world, it's conforming your life to the world. Don't pattern how you act and how you live based on how the world acts and lives. That we should transform the very way that we live. Uh, I grew up in the church, and there was this really, I don't know, thing that they taught me to do in kids' church. You may remember it. What is it? Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door. And there's all the people. <laughs> Friends, what, what happens when people look inside and they see the people of God? And they see that we gossip about one another. And they see that we hate each other. And we see that we treat each other just like their atheist neighbor treats their friends. When people look inside and see all the people, are they seeing a community that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are they seeing a group of people that mimics the world they find themselves in? See, this is the issue that Paul is addressing here in the church in Rome. They were treating each other as if what Christ did for them had no bearing on how they should live. But we don't do that, right? We're perfect. I'm perfect, right? We don't do that still. That's not an issue that we have anymore. That they weren't living in light of what Christ had done for them. I love the way the NLT translates those last two verses, uh, verses 9 and 10. This is the New Living Translation. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. Uh, you can just leave that slide up for a bit. Because this is a radical way to love and treat one another. 
This is a different way to live, and this is what Paul means when he says, live sacrificially, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Live like this. Do we truly live like the way that Paul is asking us to live here, to not pretend to love one another, but to truly love them, to hold on tightly to what is good, to love each other with a genuine affection. This is a radical way to live. You know, one of the things that we talk about as a church is how can we love, how can we express that love? Um, on the table as y'all leave, you'll see kind of the vision that we've had as a church for the past five years as we, as we learn and lean into how can we tangibly love one another? What does that look like? How does that look within our local context? Friends, we're not known as Christians we're not known as belonging to the church because we put up a yard sign or because we have a fish bumper sticker or because we wear our church t-shirts or we have a cross necklace or we even post Christian-y things on Facebook. Friends, we show that we belong to Jesus by loving like Jesus did. John thirteen thirty-five says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When people look at the church, do they see the world or do they see us living in sacrificial community, loving one another in a way that is different from the way everyone else lives their lives, a way that's not natural to the world? I love this quote by Origen. Uh, he was a church theologian uh, back in the 300s. He says this, it happens that we hate things we ought not to, just as we love things we ought not to. We are ordered to love our brothers and sisters, not hate them. If you think someone is ungodly, remember Christ died for the ungodly. And if you think that just because your brother is a sinner, you do not have to love him, remember that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But if he is righteous, then he is so much more worthy of love for God loves the righteous. I love what Origen does because he basically takes out any excuses that we could make for not loving someone else. If, oh, they're awful, they're the worst, well, Jesus loves them. Oh, well, they're holier than thou. Oh, well, Jesus loves them. Because we're supposed to mimic how God loves us. I want to close with a story in church history. I love church history. It's one of my favorite things to read about. I'm a big history nerd, so I just love reading these stories. Uh, I don't speak French, so I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize if you speak French. Uh, her name is St. Teresa of Lisieux, or Lisieux, not super sure what it is. Uh, she was a Carmelite nun who lived in the late 1800s, right before the turn of the century. And she lived a profoundly different life than the life of her other nuns. And she writes this. She wrote a story of her life, and she said this. One of our nuns managed to irritate me Whatever she did or said, the devil was mixed up in it, for it was certainly he who made me see so many disagreeable traits in her. Do you know anyone like that? Is it, am I the only one that gets along with everyone and has no issues with anyone? Or you, you can, I'm sure you've probably thought of one, maybe two people that you just, being around them, you're like, I hate this. I, I can't be here. I, I will do whatever it takes to get away from them. 
And our response when we interact with people like that is often to, uh, okay, I see them coming down the commons. It's time to go and grab my cup of coffee. Um, it's time to, oh, I, I'm just getting a text. I need to make sure I respond to this text. We're doing whatever we can to avoid interacting with them. Or maybe we'll take a step further and talk badly about them behind their back. And she says, St. Teresa says this, that she resolved not only to be kind to this nun that she disagreed with, but she chose to seek her out, to choose to love her because of what Jesus had done for her. And she says this later on, every time I met her, I prayed for her and offered God all her virtues and her merits. I was sure that this would surely delight Jesus For every artist likes to have his work praised, and the divine artist of souls is pleased when we do not halt outside the exterior of the sanctuary where he has chosen to dwell, but go inside and admire its beauty. And this is such a countercultural way to live and love one another. Like as I read this and I was preparing for this, I was like, I don't do that. I tend to do more like the world does to choose not to love the difficult people. But the call of Christ and the call of Paul in our lives is to live differently, and that means living sacrificially like St. Teresa did. That what would it look like if we as a community of faith, that if we as a gathered body of Christians chose to love one another radically like this? Finally, she relates a story later where she says this. One day, the nun came to me with a beaming face. She said, Sister Teresa, will you please tell me what attracts you so much to me? You give me such a charming smile whenever we meet. (laughs) And St. Teresa says this, Ah, it was Jesus, hidden in the depth of her soul, who attracted me. Jesus, who makes the bitterest of things sweet that this is what a transformative love can do in the life of a person. Uh, my seminary professor said, was telling the story at a chapel, and he said that when St. Teresa died, she died really young, I think at like 24, 25, um, that at her funeral, um, that nun went and spoke and said, I have never experienced love so profound as St. Teresa loved me. That the person who St. Teresa couldn't stand felt nothing but love from her sister. Because that's what the church is supposed to look like. That's how we're supposed to live together and love one another. And so friends, we're going to stand and sing our closing hymn, Blessed Be the Ties That Bind. I would encourage you and challenge you this week to take some time. Uh, Lent is a season of confession, repentance, and preparation Maybe spend some time this week in confession. Confess how we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. And ask the Lord, maybe one of the things you can do differently this Lent is to choose to love the disagreeable person among you so that we can glorify God in all that we say and do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.